right, well, um, I'm going to ask you a question. Have you ever experienced shame? Like, you know, when, when the, the blood starts to rush to your face and uh, people are making fun of you and you're like, no, no, but you know it's true. And like you try to deny it, but you were very, very quick to realize that nobody really believes you. You're trying to lie, to lie to yourself and you don't believe you. And you're like, it must be true then. Because something that happened is shameful or uh, worthy of guilt or something that maybe it's not a good experience. There's a passage in Genesis, and it talks about how, in Genesis 2.25, it says, Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. <laughs> what a verse to start a sermon with, huh? They were both naked and unashamed. Have you ever been uh, ashamed of your nakedness? Don't answer that. Um... But I remember one particular time, uh, some of my friends, we decided we we're going to go. And like there, we were too poor in Moldova. We were too poor to actually have shorts. So we swam in our underwear. And maybe it's not such a big deal to like swim in your underwear. But like there, it was kind of considered like shameful. Like you have to, like this is. So we were just, we got to this lake and we decided we we're going to swim, and we took our pants off, and we jumped in, right? We still had the underwear on, don't, you know. And uh, some friends that happened to be girls, so not, not girlfriends, friends that happened to be girls, I want to make that distinction pretty clear, um, they decided they, they're going to just take our clothes away and um, run with it. Who does that? <laughs> so Nina took our clothes away, um, no, but like, that's why they did, uh, we, we went to the lake and we didn't really realize, and then we came out and we saw them running with our clothes away. I mean, we, I was maybe seven or eight at this, at this time, and, and uh, you know, I had the very unfortunate kind of like walk of shame to my house, because I had to walk through the village, and I'm, I'm in my underwear, and people give me kind of weird looks, and... You know, I'd look weird back at them. Like, I used to have clothes, but I don't have clothes anymore. <laughs> um, normally, I'm not like this. There's a better version of me, one that includes a proper dressed young seven-year-old boy. But that was my shame story. But you know, in some cultures, in some cultures, the people walk around naked, and they don't think that as, as, as a big deal. I've always kind of thought about that, like, you see this stuff on Discovery Channel and you're like, that's not right. <laughs> that's not okay. You should be ashamed of yourself, right? Like, we say those kind of things. <laughs> so, I heard this other story that some missionaries went overseas and they decided they're going to minister to people. And just so happens, the custom there is everyone walks around with no shirts on. So they thought that includes the women and the men. So, like, you guys get the point. But, like, so they decided, hey, you know, we want to send some pictures back to the U.S., but we don't want to take a picture of them like this because they'll think, like, what's going on, right? 
So, because they they probably not gonna get the kind of the idea of what why that's their culture, and so they decided they're gonna give everyone free shirts. So they gave that, and they decided, okay, let's take the picture. And when they start taking the picture, they realized a whole bunch of people in the village they actually start cutting up the shirts because they felt very closed in. So now they still had to take a picture, and they were still half naked, but they had somewhat of a shirt on. We have a long histories with, with, but he says here that that Adam and Eve they were both naked and fully naked, and there was no shame. And I've thought about this, and it says that when they sinned, they realized that they were naked. And after they sinned and they realized that they were naked, they sewed for themselves fig leaves. You know the problem with fig leaves? They dry up. They don't last very long, so I'm saying. Eventually, you're going to be naked again. And I think what's, what's so awesome about our God, it says that even in that despair, I think at this point, God is pretty mad of uh, the situation, of what happened. It's like, you guys had one job. Don't eat from that tree. You could eat from any tree you want, but that one, don't. You had one, like, it's one thing you're not supposed to do, and you guys decide to do it. So at this point, I'm thinking God is pretty mad at the whole situation. But it says that God himself, in his mercy and kindness, he decided that he's going to cut, cut some animals and make clothes for them. And even though they were banished, God covered them. God covered them, and so they would no longer walk around being naked. It's kind of an interesting concept, you know, if you think about it. God covered them. Covered their, their what? Their nakedness. Covered their shame. And throughout history and through all the Old Testament, we see God doing that constantly. Now, obviously, this is a physical form of nakedness, but God is making a broader point here. That when we sin, there's a certain thing that get, gets exposed, and then we have to deal with the, with the shame and the guilt of that. I think some of the people that hurt hurt us the most is people that know you the best. Did you realize that? Why are you? Why don't you care if your coworker like hates you, but you care if your best friend hates you? So the closer you are to whoever you know you're close to, your relationships, the greater the the potential of them hurting you. You know what we see, kind of like the culmination, kind of point of this. In divorce, people that know each other so much, right? They, they, in a sense, what they did is they got naked with each other on all levels. Obviously, they got naked physically, but also they exposed their own emotions, right? Like their own kind of the, their insecurities and their fears. They they exposed everything who they are to one another. They know each other spiritually. Trust me, if you are married, even though I'm not married, you should trust me because I've talked to a lot of married people. <laughs> David told me, okay? Uh, but <laughs> the idea here is this, is that if you spend 24-7 with another person, they will know what your spiritual life is like. It's common sense. They will know if you're an emotional wreck. 
They will know what you're going through. We know that about our families. So um, you know how we mitigate that? Okay, so somebody hurts us, and we go and tell everything that we know to a different person, and then they turn around, they hurt us. And we do it, you know, cycle in and cycle out, get to a point where we're just like, people are stupid. They don't, I'm not trusting anyone anymore with my secrets. Well, maybe you shouldn't expose your secrets to everyone. Maybe you shouldn't be naked, getting naked with anyone that you see. Obviously, Jesus made it very clear that if you are not married, you shouldn't be sleeping around. You shouldn't be, na- being, you shouldn't be physically naked in that sense with anyone. We, we understand our concept, but you know what, what else is I see in our youth ministry? There's a lot of you will talk to a person of the opposite sex and you will put everything that you have on the table. You'll tell all your problems, everything to them. You know what you're doing there? You're emotionally getting naked with that person. When you tell another person everything, like your insecurities, your fears, your emotions, that might backfire and might backfire badly. Don't be getting emotionally naked with anyone. Unless that's your counselor, your pastor, or your spouse. I, I know we don't talk about this long, long enough. We don't, we don't really touch the subject. But I want to get you to understand, like, if you're a girl or if you're a guy, if you're dating, you know, like, how you decide to undress is you don't go and like, oh, here's everything. I'm sorry if I'm being a little bit kind of crass about this, but what I'm saying is it's got to be kind of like a dance, right? Like, you take a step, they take a step. You take a step, can I trust you? And you slowly come to that. And obviously when you get married, then you can fully expose to one another who you really fully are. Don't be exposing everything that you have on the first date and then wonder why that person went around told everything they know about you, that's not okay. I see this over and over and over and over. Don't be trusting people that have no commitment to you to love you for the rest of their life. And what's happening in our culture is even worse. People sleep together and then they wonder why it hurts so much when they break up. I say this so many times, have you ever tried to pull your leg out or like your arm out? Probably it's not going to be the most fun experience you'll enjoy. You probably won't enjoy that. But it says when, when there's two people that get together and they sleep with one another, they become one. And when they separate, it's like tearing flesh apart. It's going to hurt badly. And what happens when people get divorced is that people, you know, they expose everything they have to one another and when that person rejects them that is such a it's such a burn it's such a rejection because the person that knows you the best has just rejected you that's why it hurts so much that's why if you're getting so close and then you break up it's gonna take you a while to get over that Some of you guys here, you've been dating for three months and then I find out about it. 
I'm like, oh, okay, well, you guys are dating. That's, that's amazing. That's great. And I have to put the face on like, yeah, that's, that's very good. It's not a good idea. Ladies, if a guy is asking you out, but he's not going public with this and telling their pastor and saying, hey, could you hold me accountable? Don't wonder why they'll do anything they want to do. They have no accountability. Look, you don't have to tell me. All I'm saying is you need to have accountability in that relationship. This is a, a friend of mine is a youth pastor. He says, when I came to date my wife to take her on the first date, the whole church came like, who is this guy? Oh, this is, so, this, this is the guy that you're talking about? We're watching you. Like, if anything happens to Donna, like, we, we're going after you. Well, he says, I felt like a terrorist because even though I was a youth pastor. But these people, you know, they're not in the whole, I love you, people. But no, you hang up, and no, you hang up, because I still hear you breathing. They're not into this. They see things from a different perspective. They see it from, you know, like, they step back, and like, uh-uh, this is, he's not good. But you know what's happening? The moment somebody tells you, this, this person's, they're going to hurt you. You just turn them down. You're like, that voice, close in my life, because I don't need other people to, haters going to hate no, um, that's your spiritual mentors. You should probably listen because they have some life experience on this. This is not a case of haters going to hate. Actually, this is lovers going to love. You just don't understand it. Don't be getting naked without accountability, without, without that person willing to lay their life down for you. You know how you love someone? Easy, when you're willing to lay your life down for them. So if you want to know if you truly love someone, are you willing to lay your life down for them? In Russian community, a lot of times, we say stuff like, you know, uh, especially if you're a guy, you're like, Psh. women need to, to listen to their husbands because that's what the Bible says, doesn't it, Slavic? Yeah, and I'm like, yeah, the Bible also says that as a husband, you should love your wife as... Christ has loved the church. Are you willing to be crucified for her? Because if you're willing to be crucified for her, I'm pretty sure that you will find no girl that's actually a godly girl and now willing to listen to what you say, if you're willing to do that for her. Because the, the girls have to submit. Who does more of the submission here? A girl listening to you or you submitting yourself to the point of dying for her? So what does Christ ask us to do? Who's, actually, it's the guy who needs to submit more, in a sense, not to his wife, in a sense, that, but to be able to lay his life down. Don't be getting naked with people that are not willing to do that. They don't love you. Love has to be done in freedom. It has to be done in truth. If there's deception, and if there's oh, I'm going to put you in a cage and you can't talk to anybody, but you're going to love me and I'm going to love you. It's going to be great. That's not love. If it's not in freedom, if it's not in truth, if they're constantly lying to you, you should be worried. And if, you don't, if they don't accept any kind of authority in their life, do you think they can respect you? So, 
The whole point here is this, is that do not be getting naked with people that don't love you, that they're not willing to tell you the truth and make a commitment to you. It's mind-blowing to me how easy is for anyone to go and sleep around with someone. Like, I literally got asked that walking into Kmart, which is weird. To which I looked at her and I'm like, girl, seriously, like, I'm a Christian. I don't do that kind of stuff. Like, I'm like, are you willing to, really? That stoop that low. I'm like, I don't even know who you are. My only connection to you is walking past you in Kmart. I am amazed how some of our young, young people are willing to lay everything on Like, do you understand the consequences of this? Do you understand the spiritual consequences of this? When it says the two shall become one, that means if some, one of them is possessed with some demons, there's a legal right for these demons to harass this person now? This is some serious stuff. And when you go into your marriage, you're going to carry everything that you have with you. I remember this illustrated. This point is actually illustrated by someone that's not in, in Christianity or in the church. But basically, I don't even know if I'm going to podcast this. I don't know. Um, but like, the thing is that in the ch- I, was, I was taking this class, and this guy came and says, hey, you guys shouldn't be sleeping around. And everybody's just like, why? And he took some duct tape. He's like, I'll show you an experiment. So he took duct tape and... He says, oh, I need a volunteer. And I'm like, duct tape and a volunteer. Nope, not interested. But like somebody <laughs> decided, they, and he, he just went up there and says, give me your hand. The guy gave him his hand, but then it was too late to actually sit down now, so he had to go through with it. And the guy slapped this like duct tape on his arm. He says, you know, when you sleep with someone, it's kind of like this. And he just rips it out. And the guy just, you know, he was a guy, but at that point, I was just kind of like, that's what girls do. That way you scream like that because it was painful apparently. And then I realized that I'll never volunteer for anything ever again. But like, and uh, he says, okay, anybody else wants to volunteer? And then I was like, no, thank you. And the guy's like, why don't you want to volunteer? He says, because I don't want that stuff to happen to me. And I don't want what was on that guy be on my hand. He says, you see, but see, this is the thing though. If you... This is a representation of your heart. If you go and you stick it to someone and you peel it off, there's going to be residue. And the next time, it's not going to stick as close. So you, it's not going to hurt as much because it's not going to stick as close, but there's not going to be any closeness. So I, when I look at some girls or some guys that they sleep around with 20 different girls, when they get into a marriage, they're going to take all that residue with them, all the emotional hurts, they got to carry that with them in their marriage. That's some serious stuff. So I told you that from the perspective of this is not a good idea logically. But I want to go back to the theology because we're, ultimately we're Christians. What, we're, what really matters in the nine minutes that I have left here is, is what God says about this whole thing. And my point today is not to tell you, okay, if you've done it already, like you're condemned to hell. No, the idea here is how do we find redemption when we, when we are shamed, when we are found guilty, when we understand that we not only are being embarrassed right now and we are experiencing shame, 
but there's consequences to this. Every single time you got into a shame situation, you understood though, first of all, the reason you feel the way you feel is that people are making fun of you and they're laughing at you and there's, your pride just took a hit. But like, the further point is that usually there's consequences that come with that shame. Maybe your reputation was at stake. Maybe people's trust of you, they won't trust you anymore because of what you've done. Or maybe people will label you, oh, you're that girl, you're that guy, you've done this. So, so there's consequences that comes with that. But I want to tell you this, that God has not only dealt with our shame, he's also dealt with the consequences. Now, don't go and rob a bank, because if you do, you're going to go to jail. But I'm talking about the spiritual consequences of those things. God can restore that. What I mentioned in that Sunday morning is this, is that the first thing comes shame. The next thing what's going to come is it's going to come a way for you to blame, to just take that shame off of you, right? Well, well, well yeah, but have you seen what, what they've done? And you like constantly attempt to kind of distribute the blame or distribute the shame so you don't have to feel the full weight of it. Yeah, but see, I did that because they've done that. And because they've done that, I've, I, so, so my grandma's father's girlfriend, which is mom's, that, that, that got to me and I inherited. Therefore, I'm not fully guilty and the shame is not. So you have this elaborate scheme not to take responsibility for your thing in this whole situation. Yeah, but see, the reason I'm here is because my dad, my mom, this person, this, no, <laughs> we're not talking about all that. They could have all been broken people and they've done to you is not right. But we're, what we're dealing right now with, with is what you have done. And we, we have this amazing, you know, illustration in the Bible where we get this idea of a scapegoat. So when we blame, we start, you know, tell everyone, they're like, well, if it wasn't for this person or this, and we start cast blame because we don't want it to be on us. But the thing is, the problem with blame is it's twofold. On one hand, it doesn't change anything. If you blame other, others, then ultimately you're not getting to the core of what the problem really is about. And by shifting the blame, it's not going to make it go away. It's going to be there. So the only way you can, you have to deal with it. In the Bible, we have this, in the Old Testament, we have these two illustrations where once people would sin, so there's, there's sins, and then there's tra uh, trespasses or transgress uh, transgressions, and there's iniquity. So sin primarily has to deal with kind of the, the soul of things, right? Like, I've sinned against you, I've gossiped, or, or like emotional sins. Like, obviously, when we, when we say sins, we kind of incorporate all of them. But for the most part, in Old Testament, understood that your sin is kind of like has to do with, you know, what you said, what, what you, it wasn't necessarily with the body. Transgressions was when you did something where, where it trespasses, like if I went and punched Vadim, like that would be a trespass against him. That would be a transgression against him. And the iniquity had to do with, with the idea that not only this person is sinful on a, on a soul level, and obviously they're all interconnected, so I'm not trying to separate them here, but it's just kind of like, kind of give you an idea. Iniquity is actually 
boasting. It got to a point where they, these people, not only they sin, but they, not, they don't feel sorry for it. They actually feel proud of the lifestyle that they live. So what we see in our nature, we, I mean, what we see in our culture and in our own nature is this, that we have sins of the soul. We have sins of the body, which is we, we transgress, we trespass, we, we touch what we're not supposed to be touching, and we say things that we're not supposed to say, and, and we do things we're not supposed to do. And, but then there's another level of sin, and it's called iniquity, where people do this, they know it's wrong, and they boast in it. Just think of the the agendas that you see in the political like world right now. I don't want to mention exactly what they are, but people, they call what is good evil and what is evil good. That's iniquity. And for, for sins and for transgressions, there has to be a price. So what they would do is, is they would take a goat and they would actually offer it for the sin. So like if I punched you know, uh, Vadim, then I would make restitution by saying, hey, how much can I pay you just for you to actually, so me and you would be okay about this. And since so they would take a goat and they would bring it as a sacrifice to pay for that. But iniquity, they dealt in a different way. Iniquity, what they did is they took a goat and they put all the, the you know, people boasting their sin. Like they would take and they would kind of like, in a sense, kind of almost cast all the, the, the iniquity on this goat. And then people would realize that this goat is the curse and the problem of Israel. And people would kick it and people would spit on it and you'd be driven to, into the wilderness never to be seen again. And you'd usually die of starvation. So, so with this, God was symbolized that, you know, your trespasses and your sins, they have to be atoned for. You have to die. So we're going to have a goat that's going to kind of symbolize what Jesus is going to do at some point in the future. So, but when it comes to iniquity, it has to be driven from among you. It has to be driven out from among you. What Jesus did, he did both. He came and he became that that you know, a sacrifice for us. And he took our sin. He took our sin. He took our, our transgression. And he also, when he was driven out of the city and crucified, and he was cursed, because it says, cursed is those who hang on the tree. He was cursed. And, and he was driven out of the city. So he took your iniquity away. Literally half a few minutes left. And I want to say this, that you no longer have to deal with your shame. You don't have, you no longer have to, you know, go, go, go around and start blaming people and scapegoat people saying, well, that's because of them and this and that and that. You can say, yes, I sinned. I've done all these things, but I don't stand in my own righteousness. I stand in the righteousness of Jesus. He's taken away my sin. He's taken away my iniquity and I no longer have to deal with it. You know, what freedom comes when you understand you're no longer under the weight of that sin. So if you are walking around constantly feeling guilty, constantly feeling shame, go to the cross is what I'm saying. This is where everything was dealt with. You know, like for the last week, I've been doing a lot of, like literally about two hours a day of live streaming with people that I don't even know. And they would just constantly tell me, why do you believe Christianity and not, you know, believe like the whole Muslim kind of religion? And I said, it's easy. 
Because in Christianity, it's the only faith that God did something for us. He died for our sins. And in Christianity, both the sense of justice of God is satisfied because God can punish Jesus, and also He is merciful and He can give us grace. You see what the Muslim world says is God just forgives. Well, would you want to go to court and let's say somebody murdered a family member of yours? And the judge is like, yeah, I'm feeling merciful today, so I'm just going to let him go. That would be a corrupt judge. So, what we have in Christianity is God is fully just and God is fully merciful. He can let our sins go because Jesus paid for every single one of our sins. So, I want to give you a few things to keep in mind as you go through your, your own walk, if you're dealing with anything. First of all, you need, need to understand that this is not what God has called you. God called you to live out of shame. He didn't call you to live under the burden of shame. But the way you're going to take that weight off is you're going to have to repent. You're going to have to come to the cross and say, God, I've tried to do this on my own, and it hasn't been working very well for me. But repentance is not saying, God, I'm sorry. That's not repentance. That could be piety or being you like trying to be humble. That's not repentance. Repentance is saying, God, I was going this way, and now I'm going to turn around, and I'm going to go this way. And I know that like Lot's wife, I'll have tendencies to kind of look over my shoulder and look back. But God, help me stay in this new path. Repentance is turning around. So if you had a whole bunch of friends you're hanging out with, and you're still, still talking perverted, this is a time where you say, I love you all, but this ain't happening anymore. Maybe one day, I can come back and start reaching to you one-on-one -on -one and so on and so forth. But for now, I'm no longer going your direction. I'm going this direction. If you've been dealing with porn, this is a moment where you say, this is no longer. I'm going to get a filter on every single device that I have. I'm going to get an accountability partner and I, that I'm going to talk on, on a weekly basis if I have to, on a monthly basis, but I, I will not allow sin in my life. If this is a relationship that you know it's not godly, you know he's not godly, you know she's not godly, but just being with them feels good. Yeah, trusting your feelings, where has that gotten you? Making a decision, look, it's not based on our feelings. It's based on knowing, on knowing what is true. Jesus forgave us, and trust me, his, his feelings were very, very hurt. He was hanging on the cross, nails still piercing his hands, and nails still piercing his feet. And the crown of thorns was still on him, and it hurt. But he made a decision saying, God, Father, forgive them. For they don't know what they do. So, so what, they, what he's done in that moment, he's exercised his will to forgive you even though his feelings are hurt, his body hurt a lot. So leaving that lifestyle might not feel good. But this is what I'm asking you to exercise your will, saying, you know what, I will stand on his promise. I will not have my feelings dictate how I'm going to live my life. I'm going to listen to what he says. 
And that is true for repentance. When you come here and you ask God for repentance, right? Like, and you're like, and you leave and you're like, I don't know if God forgave me or not. Did he? And the enemy comes and says, did he forgive you? I don't know. What I've learned in my own life is I just don't repent twice. You know why? Because God spoke. He said, if you are faithful to confess with your mouth your sin, I will forgive you. And I take that as the ultimate truth. Sometimes I don't feel forgiven. But I don't allow my feelings to trump God's word. Now, obviously, there's a distinction there. If the Holy Spirit is convicting you, if there's still sin in your life that you still need to be repenting of, that's a different story. But I'm saying that sin that you've already confessed, sin that you've already dealt with, if the enemy comes and says, did you really get forgiven? I'm like, no, devil, you, I, I don't, you're the father of lies. Why would I listen to you? I know who I believed. I know that my God has never told one lie. I'm going to stand on what he says rather than my feelings or what you say. I want to close with a story and, and just call you to prayer. And today we're not going to call you to the altar or have worship. But like, I'm hoping that as you go to your, your, um, to your blocks, next, next Friday we're going to have more of a prayer service. That as God deals with you in this, in this season, that you take that and start kind of like really thinking about the areas in your life that you feel shamed and guilty. And, and if, if you feel shame, maybe there's something that needs to be dealt with. But I always, I love this story because, um, you know, back in the days when they used to have wooden ships and they would travel across the ocean, that when, the, when, when, when a storm would hit it, the, the, the wooden ship would like really rock back and forth and people would throw up and people would just get really sick. And the captain will always say, look to the horizon because the horizon is constant. Our waves are up and down. He says, look at the horizon. In Christianity, the waves are like our feelings. You wake up one day and you're like, today, I'm going to be powerful for Jesus. I'm going to go minister to my coworker and I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And you have all this list of spiritual things you're going to do. And then get to work. Well, on the way to work, somebody cuts you off and you're like, pshh. And then you get to work and somebody's yelling at you and you're like, why? Like, why do that right now? I, ha- I was having such a good day. And by the time you get back home, you're like, Lord, save me. Because I'm about to really go off of someone. Our feelings, they always change. And if you start riding them like, like the waves, you will be lost at sea. Our feelings are not to be trusted unless they're completely redeemed and you know it's the Holy Spirit that's behind them and he'll sometimes nudge you in your feelings. But, but what I'm trying to tell you is for the most part, do not be riding the waves of your feelings. Girls, you specifically have a problem with this. Like I am amazed like between our girl leaders and our guys leaders. And now I talk to a guy like, got it, got it, good. <laughs> Girls are a little bit different. But that's not to say that you should look at that and despise that. I think there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a benefit in that. Because you think about things that normal people would not think about. Normal guys don't think about. But, and that's not something to be despised. Those instincts, those things that God is giving you, that, those are to be celebrated. But don't be using them you know, to, to, to kind of run your life. God didn't call you to be a superstition person, a superstitious person. 
God didn't call you to go with the next wave of emotions. God called you to listen to him and follow his orders and follow his path and follow what he says. What we trust in the, in the, the wooden ship analogy, they would trust the stars because for the most part they're somewhat stable. And then the horizon that's stable. And also what they would trust is, is the compass that will always point north and south and so on and so forth. So what I'm asking you as a mature Christian is when you talk to me, when you talk to other people, you don't go, but I feel like, I feel like, like I feel like, I feel like you are feeling something too. I'm asking you to say God spoke. And right now, quite frankly, I'm not sure what I'm going through, but I'm going to trust his voice on this. Because his voice the Bible, my devotion with him is like the compass. The, his love towards me is constant. My love towards others, not so much. Don't make me mad. My, my, my passion for the Lord, up and down. Depends on what day I feel like if I'm tired, if I'm not. Like today my roommate came in the room and I just I woke up from a nap because I only sleep like four hours and I have to wake up before, so I didn't really get a lot of sleep. And then I come home and I try to sleep. So my roommate goes, so what are we going to do today? And I'm like, I'm going to go to youth. And he's like, huh? I'm like, I'm going to go to youth. And he goes, what? And I'm like, I'm going to go to youth. And he's like, what's that? And I'm like, you don't know what youth is. And he's like, oh, youth. And I'm like, Lord, forgive me on that one. That was a close one. <laughs> but it's, it's, it depends. We, our feelings are up and down. Like, you, know, you just woke up from a nap. You're like, you're still trying to figure out life at that point, right? Like, am I still alive? Am I still, am I still good right now? And somebody comes like, hey, you know, one of those morning people? And you're like, no, go away. Who summoned you? <laughs> like, what I'm trying to say, our feelings are always up and down. But his love towards us is constant. We love because he loves us first. We forgive because he's forgiven us first. We trust because he's, you know, he's, he's entrusted us with first. He's done all that for us. And because he's done all that for us, we can extend it to other people. And in our shame and our guilt, God's taken that away. He's taken it and he paid the price for your shame and for your guilt. So you no longer have to walk around naked in the sense God has covered your sin. Remember that passage says that you know, love covers a multitude of sins. Why do I have this, you know, tendency to always say sins? Sins. Um, God has covered that. And you're saved not because what you did right or what you did wrong. You're saved because God, with his blood, has covered your sin. And now you stand under his covering and under his righteousness. And because of that, we have the confidence to go against the enemy. We have the confidence to... And if people look at you and you're like, bro you're under like what's going on with your life your life is not in order you remind them that you know what normally i'm not like this but the same god who who paid the price is going to cover me he's going to change he's 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 going to bring me back to where i belong because you see the only time you realize you're naked is when you have a sense they should be clothed if you've never wore clothes in your life, then you wouldn't really know that you were naked, right? Right? You have to have an idea of what a, a clothed person is before you can realize that, oh, I'm naked. So we always look to this forward. I think what shame and guilt is, is, is a reminder of what we were meant to be. 
but we are not right now. We were meant to spend every single day in His glory. He made us for the Garden of Eden, but because of our fall, we have this, this notion of how things ought to be, but we know that things is not how they are right now. And my last verse that I want to read for you is this, is that God says this, that because we are in Christ, Christ in us is the hope of what? Glory. What keeps me, what gives me confidence in my nakedness and my shame and my guilt is that because he's covered me one day, I'll be back to where I was supposed to be, clothed in his clothes and in righteousness. I look forward to seeing every single one of you on that day in heaven where we can look back and say, that was a really rough ride, but God's delivered us. I look forward to the moment where my love towards people will not be clouded by hidden motives and under my subconscious mind. I look forward to being free from all temptation of sin and, and all the brokenness that comes with it. I look forward to that day. And because we are in Christ, that's what gives us hope. That one day, we have the hope of glory to be restored again. So quite frankly, right now, still in my own life, I, I walk around like that eight-year-old boy walking through a village with people laughing at me at my own things that, you know, I feel exposed about. But just like I reminded those people in that time that, you know what? By the end of the day, I'm going to be clothed again. There is a good end to this story. The enemy came and stole, up my, clo stole my clothes and exposed me and, and, and shamed me. But guess what? I'm getting home. I'm going to get a new set of clothes. And I'll be back what I was to be. Thank you for listening to Eternal Stance. My hope is that these messages will help you and inspire you to live in light of eternity. If this podcast has been a blessing to you, would you share it with other people? Thank you in advance, and until next time, God bless you.